Would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7. And uh, we'll start in verse number 17 this morning. Genesis 7, 17. And reading down through chapter 8, the very first phrase in chapter 8. And verse number 1. Genesis chapter 7. And verse number 17. If you'll make your way over there, and I hope you'll get there quickly. And we'll begin to read in Genesis 7. And verse number 17, and the word of God says, And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lift up above the earth. And the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath, the, the breath of life of all that was in the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed that was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and the creeping things and the fowl of heaven. And they were destroyed from the earth and Noah only remained alive and they that were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed upon the earth in 150 days, and God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. That's what I would like for you to consider one more time today as we look at this passage of Scripture. God remembered Noah. May we pray? Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the reading of your word, and God, that you'd help me, fill me with thy Holy Spirit, and help me, Lord, to deliver the message in a way that pleases you, and gives you glory, and we're going to thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, this is part three uh, of this series of messages, God Remembered Noah. Uh, Noah, as we have already studied and looked at for the past uh, two Sundays, previous two Sundays, uh, Noah entered into the ark in Genesis chapter 7. And seven days after Noah entered the ark, the Rain begins to fall and the fountains of the deep are broken up and bursting forth with water, according to God's word. And all the living creatures on dry land are wiped out. And water covers the earth for 150 days. In Genesis chapter 8, the floodwaters begin to recede and the ark comes to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Seventy-four days later, the mountaintops become visible and 40 days more, uh, Noah sends out a raven and then a dove. Uh, that dove uh, came back the first time. The second time, the dove uh, brought back a tender branch of, a, of an olive tree. And so uh, Noah was able to know that the trees were beginning to bloom and so forth. And then the third time that Noah sent out that dove, the dove didn't return. And we presume that the dove found lodging in some place. And so uh, Noah knew that it wouldn't be long. And uh, Two weeks after that, after the dove didn't return, uh, Noah sees dry land for the first time. Now, Noah stayed an additional 57 days on the ark until the Lord instructed him to leave the ark. Now, in all, Noah spent over a year confined in the ark. And that's when we see this message come clear to us from Genesis chapter 8 and verse number 1, God remembered Noah. Now, I know I've said this before, but I think it's important and that we ought to repeat it. Uh, 
the fact that God remembered Noah does not imply that God had forgotten about Noah, but that God keeps his promises. And so for the previous two Sundays, we have asked this question and looked at the answer, how did God remember Noah? Well, we started off by saying God remembered Noah by giving him instructions to build the ark. And we concluded uh, and asked ourselves the question, what instruction has God given to us? And have we been faithful to that instruction? You consider that the instructions that God gave to Noah, that he uh, stayed after it for 120 years uh, as he built the ark. He was faithful to the task and God rewarded him for it. Not only did God remember Noah by giving him instructions to build the ark, God remembered Noah by inviting him into the ark. We saw in Genesis chapter 7 and verse number 1 that God said, come thou, come thou. And uh, by that we remembered that, uh, that God, when he said, come thou, that indicated to us that God was already in the ark and God was inviting Noah to come into where he was. And then thirdly, the last time we got together and talked about this subject, we uh, spoke of uh, the fact that God remembered Noah by letting him out of the ark. So by inviting him into the ark, but also letting him out of the ark, we saw in Genesis chapter 8 and verse number 15, God said, go forth. So not only was God inviting Noah into where he was when he said, come thou, he didn't say go thou, he said, come thou. Uh, but then when we see that God said, go forth, we understand that God didn't just invite Noah into where he was, but God stayed with Noah and his family through the storm. And so I think it a proper way to conclude this series of messages by now considering Noah's response to God for keeping his promises. In other words, God remembered Noah, but how did Noah remember God? And in this, I believe we'll find how we ought to properly respond to God's dealing in our lives. First of all, notice with me that Noah remembered God by leaving the ark. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 8 and verse, verses 18 and 19, And Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every fowl and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kinds went forth out of the ark. There's a progressive phobia that some people have that may eventually lead to a, a fear of leaving the house. Perhaps you've heard of it. It's called agoraphobia. I know a lady who suffered with this, this fear of leaving the house. Now, by God's grace, she was able to overcome it. But that's a genuine fear, a genuine fear of leaving the safety of, of one's home. Now, I don't think that we have to have that fear. That fear doesn't come from God. Uh, that fear was not, uh, was not created in us by God. Uh, God's not the author of fear. Uh, God uh, doesn't give us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Uh, but there are some uh, folks that are genuinely fearful about leaving their homes. And uh, I would like to kind of think about that this morning in relationship to Noah leaving the ark. Now, it had been crowded, and it had been cramped, and it had been smelly. But the fact was, 
that the ark had been his home, and it was safe. When you consider all that Noah must have experienced as, as those doors shut and the rain began to fall and the floods began to rise, uh, the sounds that he might have heard of people screaming and trying to get access to the ark and, and then the storm and the rain and the, and the incessant pounding of the waves and, and, and how that may have had an effect on Noah and his family. And, and, and the fact was, yeah, it was crowded and it was cramped and it was smelly, but the fact remains, it was home and it was safe. And now God has said, go forth. Now they're leaving what they know. They're leaving what they've rested in and rested upon. And they're leaving the known for the unknown. Now, now keep in mind, the, the whole earth has been changed. There are no cities. Everything's been destroyed. There, there are no roads. There are no homes. There are no people. Imagine this with not just the rain falling and, and, and washing away the silt off the top of the ground and exposing things underneath it, but the, but the fountains of the deep breaking open and bursting forth with water. It changed the whole geography of the face of the earth. Everything was different. Noah didn't, couldn't even rely upon previous landmarks that he had known. Everything was strange and new. For example, there was a new climate. Look at Genesis 8 and verse number 22. A new climate. Well, the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. And so it was a different climate. Uh, the climate was different at the creation God put a protective layer around the earth. We call it the ozone layer. And we know that even still today that that ozone layer continues to deplete. That's a part of the curse of sin, the sins of mankind. And so when God caused it to rain, it had never rained upon the earth before. The Bible tells us that the dew would come up from the ground to water the ground. And so this canopy, this this ozone, this troposphere was damaged uh, because of the result of sin, uh, Adam's sin, but then the degradation of sin, and, and then finally uh, the letting loose of the water from the troposphere. And it changed the climate. So here's Noah. He's going out into a, a new climate. It had been relatively ambient in its temperature. And now there was going to be, as the Bible says, uh, a seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night. Some of those things had been there since the creation, but there's something new, a new climate. It was all strange and all new. Wild animals. We considered last week how that God brought those animals on board. And, and as I've studied this, I, I considered how that uh, the nature of the animal had to change. And I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I came to this conclusion that when things go into the ark, when, and we've mentioned how that Christ is a picture of the ark, and when we're in Christ, it changes our nature. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And it reminded me, when I read uh, this story and studied this story, how when the animals came on board, they didn't act like wild animals anymore. Their nature changed. The, the lion laid down with the child, and, and, and uh, the, the lamb laid down with the wolf, you know. 
And so there were wild animals now after they went forth out of the ark. Genesis 9-2 tells us the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon the fishes of the sea into your hand are they delivered. Now, it might have been easier to stay in the ark, uncomfortable as it was. It took great courage when we consider that. To step out of the ark into a brand new world, it meant leaving behind safety and security. It meant trusting God for a totally unknown future. I wonder what was most difficult. Building the ark, getting on the ark, staying on the ark for over a year with your in-laws and all the animals and everything on the ark. Or I wonder if the most difficult thing was getting off the ark. It takes courage for the child of God to leave what is comfortable. It takes courage for the child of God to leave what is comfortable. Now, I want to get back to that point in just a minute, but I want to relate this as well. It takes courage for anyone to leave what is comfortable. For example, sometimes people find great comfort in things like religion or religious groups or, or things like that. Uh, there are groups of people that, uh, and people that I've known, when they come to faith in Christ, they have a, a difficult time leaving their, their religion because it's not just what they do for church, it's who their family is, it's part of their culture. And so sometimes it's difficult for them to leave what's comfortable, and it is. It's, it takes courage to leave what is comfortable. For example, about how to have a relationship with God in time and be in His presence for eternity. You see, we, we sometimes grow up with these things that have been taught to us, and, and we have these ideas about God and how things are. And it's, it's, it's comfortable to us because it's familiar to us, and it takes great courage for us to walk away from that and to, to leave those things, like we said before, like religion or religious groups are trying to be good enough or trying to make sacrifices or penance or sacraments or baptisms or asking for forgiveness. And, and so it's, it's, it takes great courage for a person to leave what's comfortable and what's familiar to them and place their faith perhaps in Christ alone. And it may seem impossible uh, for some to believe that Jesus is the only hope. I mean, it's more palatable to say that we're all God's children and, and that we're all just on different roads leading to the same place, but that's not the way it is. And and as un uncomfortable as that might be, it takes great courage to not only admit that, but then to step out on the truth of God's word and recognize that Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You see, he also said in the Sermon on the Mount and the conclusion of it, Jesus said that narrow is the way that leadeth to salvation and 
few there be that find it. And the reason that is is because it's an uncomfortable thing. And uh, we have a tendency to gravitate toward that which is comfortable and secure to us, not realizing that uh, that that will lead us on the broad road to hell if we don't come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's just what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, if you'd like to take the word of God and turn there. We're going to see what Jesus said uh, concerning the rich and, and going to heaven. And this is a hard pill to swallow, but it's what Jesus said. We find it in Matthew chapter 19. If you'd like to turn there, we're going to see what Jesus said. And in Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 23, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not going to try to spiritualize this. I'm going to take this literally, and what Jesus is saying, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Well, you've seen the eye of a needle. I've heard some people spiritualize this about the walls in Jerusalem and so forth, but I'm not going to do that. It's, it, Jesus said it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, why would that be? Because the rich man finds his security and his comfort in his riches. And, uh, and it's hard for him to uh, find his security and his comfort in something that's not tangible to him. Well, then his disciples heard it. They were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? And Jesus beheld them and said unto them, You see, with men it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so it takes courage for us to leave that which is comfortable and familiar to us and step out and trust God and, uh, for, for an entirely unknown future. Now, that's for those who have not yet trusted in Christ. I want to go back to the child of God. For those of us who have believed in Christ, we are often challenged to leave what is comfortable and familiar. Some have called uh, the pains that we experience as we grow physically as growing pains. And sometimes as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, sometimes God will challenge us to leave what is comfortable and familiar so that we might grow, so that we might become more like Christ. It, it takes courage and resolve not to look back or second guess our decision to leave the ark and walk with God. It requires the discipline of keeping our eyes in the right place. Take your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and we're going to read verses 1 through 3, and we're going to see what the Word of God says about keeping our eyes in the right place. I'd seen something in this passage of Scripture that I'd never considered before, and I'm going to share it with you this morning. And uh, I'm going to challenge something that I've heard from other pulpits, and perhaps I've even preached in my own pulpit. But we're going to see what the Bible says about putting our eyes in the right place, because it requires having the courage to, 
to leave what's comfortable and familiar and trust God requires the discipline of keeping our eyes in the right place. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the Word of God says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, I've heard it preached in uh, different pulpits, and I may have preached it in my own pulpit, that this great uh, cloud of witnesses are those that have passed from time and into eternity. But I don't think that's the case. I think the great cloud of witnesses are those that are around us in this world. The great, great cloud of witnesses for the child of God are, are those that we come in contact with, our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, our relatives. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, the Bible says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. You see, that testimony is not for those in heaven. That testimony is, is for those witnesses around us who are looking to see how we're going to respond. Are we going to, uh, are we going to put feet to the words that we speak about trusting God and, and following God and walking with God, you see? I honestly don't believe. I, I think we say it because it makes us feel better, but I honestly don't believe that, that those who have departed, the souls that have departed their bodies and are with Christ, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I don't think that those souls are the least bit interested in what's going on on this earth. I don't believe it. As I thought about this and I studied this passage once again, I, I don't believe that, that they have a care or a thought about what's going on on this earth because they're with their Savior and they're with their Creator in heaven. And I don't believe that they, they have a, a flighting thought about what's going on in this earth. And I don't believe that they can see down upon us. I do know that the Bible tells us that if there's joy in the presence of God uh, uh, when, when a sinner comes to repentance. And I, so I think there's an, something that goes on there. But, but I, I think it just makes us feel better to say things when we have a loved one that passes from time into eternity. Well, they're always with us. No, they're not. They're with the Lord. And I think it's important for us to be biblical in our thinking. Why would they even want to know what's going on on this earth? Do you think that when we get to heaven someday that we're going to have any interest about what's going on on this earth? I don't. I think we'll be so enamored by the fact that we're with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so these witnesses, I believe, are those that are around us who can see as we lay aside. They can see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven and the sin which does so easily beset us. And here it is. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And here is what we need to do in order to have the courage to leave what's comfortable, uh, to leave what's familiar so that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Here it is. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. And so it requires uh, the courage to, to leave what's comfortable and what's familiar and to step out and trust God requires the discipline of keeping our eyes in the right place as the children of God. Now Noah, first of all, remembered God by leaving the ark. And I'd say that was a step of obedience. 
It was being obedient to God's word when he said, go forth. Now, a more prominent way that we see how Noah uh, remembered God, I think is founded back in Genesis chapter 8 and verse number 20, a more prominent way that we find Noah remembered God. In Genesis 8, 20, where the word of God says, Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Now, the sequence of events here is very important. The sequence of events is very important. First of all, God tells Noah to leave the ark. Secondly, Noah leaves the ark. And then thirdly, what happens? Noah builds an altar. Now, listen. Remember, Noah is getting off the ark. The cities are gone. The people are gone. The roads are gone. The homes are gone. All of the geography has changed. All the landmarks are different. Everything is strange and new. And there were going to be things that Noah could have done. As a matter of fact, I'll go so far as to say there were things that Noah probably needed to do. There were things maybe that he wanted to do. There were things that Noah had to do, like build a house, you know, or build a fence to, to keep in the animals. But Noah had his priorities correct. Consider this. Of all that could have been done, Noah's first act was to respond to God. The first act of man on the new earth was an act of worship. It was an act of worship. And so Noah remembered God by building an altar. Look at the verse again, Genesis 8 and verse number 20, which tells us Noah builded an altar unto the Lord. Noah made time to respond to God. He didn't just find a pile of rocks somewhere. He didn't just figure, well, ever, since everything else is new, then I guess my worship of God can be known. No, he went back to the old-fashioned way that took us back all the way to the Garden of Eden when God would slay those animals and, and the altar, the idea of the altar would be, uh, would be given. And so that man would offer his sacrifices and his worship unto God at an altar. And so Noah didn't just find some pile of rocks somewhere or build a fire and, and, and do the sacrifice. No, he, he made time to build it and to respond to God. The very first act of man on the new earth was this act of worship. The altar and the offering represented his complete surrender and submission to God. The fact that he got off of the ark, the fact that Noah left what was comfortable and familiar and safe uh, was, was a step of obedience. But here we see that this offering was, was a surrender and a submission to God. Noah recognized that God was his only hope and his only hope was in God's provision. Now, now think about this again. Noah gave not just what he had. Noah didn't just give of all that he had. But here's the deeper thing. 
nor gave of everything that existed upon the face of the earth. Now, there were some animals unclean that came aboard the ark two by two, but there were some that came, some say it was seven, uh, six pairs and an extra, and, and there's an, uh, you know, a bunch of argument about this, and some say it was seven pairs of clean, whatever. That's not the point this morning. But the fact is, is that Noah took and offered, if you notice from the word of God here, of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. He took of not just what he had, not just everything he had, but everything that existed on the face of this earth. Now, God had given him the order to go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. So he's got this burden of knowing that he's got to he's got to wisely steward the lives of these animals and the the lives of his family of his own life in order to be able to fruitful and replenish the earth and and yet despite all of that and and the fact that he's probably no doubt thinking a little bit about self-preservation he he's he doesn't just give God what he had he didn't just give God all that he had he gave of God of all that existed on the face of the earth. That's unbelievable, unfathomable that he would do that. So many of us would say, well, we've got to preserve, you know. I think the nature of man was revealed much in, in what we saw happen uh, as the news of this pandemic unfolded. People went and hoarded, of all things, toilet paper. And they went and, and, and this uh, people went into this mode of self-preservation. Not everybody. Thank God, not everybody. But enough people to help us recognize that that's, that's the nature, the sin nature of man. But Noah trusted God. And he offered not just what he had, not just all he had, but all that existed. He slew of every clean beast and every clean fowl and every, everything. He offered burnt offerings on the altar. It was God who warned him. It was God who told him to build the ark. It was God who gave him the strength and the, and the perseverance to build it. It was God who designed the ark. God who invited him into the ark. It was God who brought the animals into the ark. It was God who shut the door. It was God who preserved the ark through the flood. It was God who brought the ark to rest in the same place, and it, safe place. And it was God who told Noah when it was safe to leave the ark. God did it all except, except, what Noah did here in surrendering and sacrificing of all that he had and all that existed. I want you to remember something. When it comes to our worship of God, listen closely. A sacrifice is not a sacrifice unless it's a sacrifice. When it comes to God and our worship of God and our obedience to God, a sacrifice is not a sacrifice unless it's a sacrifice. And may I say this? I don't think Noah saw what he did as a sacrifice. I think he saw it as surrender. It was surrender. It was surrender to the work of God to bring him to that place on the ark. You see, we said a moment ago that God did all the work. 
And so it is with salvation and sanctification. It's all the work of God. It is all the work of God for us to have a relationship with Him in time and to be with Him when earthly life is over. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is all the work of God once we are saved to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. You see, God did it all for Noah, and Noah responded from his heart. For with a heart man believeth, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. And Noah responded out of a heart of obedience a heart of true worship, and a heart of true surrender. I, I believe that when we get ourselves into the right place, we won't see things as a sacrifice when it comes to God. We'll see it as just pure surrender because He did so much for us. And we want to reciprocate that back to Him. We want to respond to God. So what a challenge that is for us today, isn't it? To remember God. Ecclesiastes 12.1 says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. Deuteronomy 8.18, it says, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is He that giveth thee power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant, which He sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. And so Noah remembered God by, first of all, leaving the ark. That was obedience. Secondly, Noah remembered God by Building an altar. He made time to respond to God. That's true worship and true surrender. And so now as we conclude this service, I'd like to invite you to make time to remember God. How will you remember God? How will you remember God through your obedience? Are, are you listening this morning? Are you watching this morning? And you're not, you've not yet trusted in Christ as your Savior. Won't you obey the Lord? When he says, look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved. There's no other way. God's completed all the work. There's nothing more for you to do. I don't know if the comfort of religion or religious acts or confidence in baptisms or sacraments or anything. I don't know if that's holding you back, but don't let it hold you back. Just turn from all that, those things that you thought would give you a relationship with God and trust in Christ alone. Trust in the person of Christ. Believe. The Bible says in John 1.12, Believe and receive. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Believe that Jesus is who God said he is. He's God in the flesh. Believe that the payment that Jesus made by his shed blood, his death, burial, and resurrection is enough to satisfy the wrath of God and that you can receive that payment. You can receive what Christ has already done in order to have that relationship with God now and for eternity. Will you follow him in obedience? Will you trust him? Maybe you've been saved and you haven't been baptized. Did you know that God wants you to be baptized? Scripturally, the word baptize means to plant. It's a Greek word, baptizo. It means to plant. The scriptural baptism is by immersion. I know maybe you're comfortable with the way that you grew up and uh, maybe, maybe you're comfortable with 
uh, how you did it. You did it before and you got saved, but you haven't been baptized after salvation. And that's the scriptural way to do it because those that are saved are baptized. And baptism comes after salvation. Baptism is a, is a picture of what Christ has done by his shed blood's death, burial, and resurrection. That's why we put people under the water in the Baptist church. It, it, it's a picture of what Christ has done for us. And we follow Christ in obedience. We follow the example of Christ. By the way, if, if baptism was necessary for salvation, then why was Jesus baptized? baptized? Do you know why Jesus was baptized? Because he was submitting to the will of the Father. And so when we get baptized, we're submitting to the will of the Father as well. And that is to follow the example of Christ after salvation uh, to be baptized. Maybe uh, it's in an area of obedience, not for, for coming to faith in Christ, not for baptism, uh, but maybe for church membership. I know it's hard to do that because we're meeting remotely like this but do you know that once a person is saved and once they're baptized they're, the intention is for them to be added to a body of believers I, I think that we have begun to understand a little bit and I, I agree with this statement I've said this before and I want to say it again that by meeting remotely like this we've learned that church was never about the building but that is an irresponsible statement if you don't understand what the church is. Don't say what the church is not if you don't understand what the church is. The church is the local assembly. That's what the church is biblically. That's what it means. The church is the local assembled body of believers. It's not some universal mystic thing that we are added to it's a it's a body of believers a local assembly the local ecclesia is the greek word and so maybe there's this thing of obedience in and becoming a member of of a local assembly whether that's liberty lake baptist church or a, a church that's more uh, that's closer to where you are i i don't know where you're watching from where you're listening from uh, but uh, how will you remember god through obedience will you obey him and be saved will you obey him and be scripturally baptized will you obey him and and become a part of the body the local assembly or maybe it's in some other area i invite you to spend time alone with the Lord and say, God, what, is, what, is, what areas of my life do I need to yield to? Maybe it's not a sin. I find that oftentimes a believer is, is, doesn't spend most of their time choosing between right and wrong. Most of the time, the believer spends most of their time choosing between what is good and what is best. And I think it, this might be an opportunity for us to get with God and say, God, what's not best in my life? There might not be some sin in my life, but what, is, there some, is there some weight that's holding me back from being the influence that, that you want me to be? W.A. Criswell said that the believer, and it's true, we, we use the verse often in, the, in, our, in, our, uh, different, in our bulletin and the different things that we publish through this church. Uh, it was the verse that God gave to me initially about uh, planting a church in Liberty Lake Baptist, or in Liberty Lake, Washington. And it's the 2 Corinthians 3.17 where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And W.A. Criswell said, as a Christian, he said, I'm at perfect liberty to do whatever I want to do. And that's true. 
There's liberty in Christ to do whatever we want to do. But what W.A. Criswell said, it was so good. He said, as a Christian, I can do whatever I want to do. And he mentioned some things. He said, I can go do this. I can go, do this, I can go out and have a drink. He said that. He said, I can, I'm at perfect liberty to do whatever I want to do. I can go out and have a drink. He said, but the only thing that is at stake is my influence and my testimony. And listen, when we begin to see things like that as believers, and we begin to look at our lives and the things that we do and the way that we talk and the music that we listen to and the entertainment that we, uh, that we enjoy and, and the things that we drink and the things that we eat and, and the way that we dress, everything comes into perspective when we start to consider how does this reflect upon my Lord and Savior? How does this reflect upon God? Yes, we're at perfect liberty to do whatever we want, but the Bible says only don't use that liberty for an occasion to the flesh as a cloak of maliciousness to say, I'm at perfect liberty. I don't live under the law. I live under grace. Come on, believer. Understand that. Yes, you're at perfect liberty, and the only thing that's at stake is your testimony and your influence. And boy, that's all you have really at the end of your life is the people that you influenced for the glory of God. Is there some area of obedience that we need to surrender to Him? How about remembering God in our worship? Are we making time to build the altar? Are we giving not just what we have, uh, not just all we have, but are we giving of all that exists in our lives? Are we that surrendered? Uh, do we have that much faith in God that we would offer Him everything, my all, my all? How will you remember God today in obedience and worship and in surrender? God remembered Noah. And then Noah remembered God. Gracious Father, we ask that you'd help us in the next few moments to clearly hear from you. Lord, we thank you. And we bless you. And we ask your blessing upon us. Lord, help us to remember you in our obedience and in our worship, and in our surrender. And we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.